tea before you preach tonight. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, I thank you for the friendship that um, this man and I share, and Lord, for our, our co-laboring in the gospel, and Lord, the kindred spirit that we have. And I pray tonight, Lord, for this congregation with us, Lord, mixed in with the folks from Archie and Adrian and others, Lord, that you would burden us with the commands of Jesus to, to pray for one another and to pray to you that we would remember that, that true fellowship comes as your people seek after your face and they work together for the gospel. And so, Lord, just be with us in this moment and anoint every word that is spoken here tonight. Lead us into your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm on. In open to John chapter 17, that's a high priestly prayer that, that JP asked me to uh, talk about here this evening. And, and i got to say, I know I'm tall, but I feel really tall. I think this stage is like two or three times taller than mine down in Adrian, so I'm, I'm, like, I'm not used to looking this far down. But uh, anyway... Um, as, as JP said, I'm, I'm Mike. I'm the pastor down at First Baptist of Adrian. Got, got a bit of a micro scattered about back there in, in the back. And um, uh, I've been down there. I think I got there in Adrian about six months before JP uh, got here, give or take. And so, you know, we, we kind of came into our association of churches uh, together and, and quickly developed a, a friendship and so forth. And, and yeah, love your pastor. I consider him a great a friend of mine, and, and so I consider it a privilege to come and be able to share with you all uh, tonight. And just a few words before we, we really get into the text here. With, with John 17, what it is, from, from what I understand, J, J.P. preached on um, the Lord's Prayer this morning on Matthew 6. And, and the Lord's Prayer is really Jesus teaching us how to pray. And in fact, if, if you read the Luke version of it, it starts out with, Lord, teach us to pray the way that John taught his disciples to pray. So, so it's really that, that Jesus teaching us to pray. When we come to John 17, what is commonly called the high priestly prayer, it is instead Jesus himself praying. Now, now we see this at different points throughout Scripture, but here this is the longest one, the longest prayer of Jesus that we have. And more than that, it's what he's praying about. Because when he get into it, he is praying about his followers. And it's not just his followers back then at the time. It's his followers throughout all the ages. So, so John 17 is Jesus praying for us as well. And so with that in mind, let's look at this and just think about that as I read this passage for us. That this is Jesus praying for you. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. 
I manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name which you have given me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them, even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, they be with me where I am, to see your glory that you have given me, because you love me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And that is a good place for an amen. amen. As we think about this here in our time tonight, I, I, I want us to think about this passage from from two different angles. The, the, the first is dealing with the text itself, what Jesus was actually praying for. And there's four things there that Jesus uh, was praying for on, on the behalf of us as his followers. And then, more briefly, on the other side of that, the application side of that, how those four things should then shape our prayers as we pray to God. And so what was Jesus praying for? Well, when you look at verses 1 through 5 here to start, you see that he was praying for the glory of God. Much like how he began the Lord's Prayer teaching us, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed or highly honored be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, so Jesus starts with this magnification of the Lord's greatness. And then from there, he, he gets into specifically how he wants the Father to be glorified and how he as the Son wants to be glorified and what we see. On the one hand, he is saying to the Father, glorify me with, with the same glory that we shared before the world was. So you think that eternity passed before God ever said, let there be, and creation came into existence 
Father, Son, and of course also the Holy Spirit existing together in perfect unity, perfect community, forever, perfect love, perfect glory. It's a glory that no human eye has ever seen, at least in this life. And Jesus says, I want to return to that. I want to taste that again. But then notice how he says that's going to come about. He says the hour has come. If you know the Gospel of John, you you know that there are several times throughout it where where the the Pharisees and the scribes and all of them, they're they're trying to arrest Jesus and they're trying to crucify Jesus and and he keeps escaping from it and, and it keeps saying over and over again, his hour has not yet come, his hour has not yet come, his hour has not yet come. Now you come to John 17 where Jesus is praying and he starts out, my hour has come. And this prayer, when he finishes, the very next thing we get to in chapter 18, he goes and he's arrested and taken and crucified. So the hour that Jesus was talking about is the hour of his death. The hour of the crucifixion. And so Jesus is saying in that moment, going to the cross and what it is accomplishing, Jesus says, I'm going to be glorified with the same glory that Father, you and I shared before the world even existed. So the glory of the cross. And, and then he, he takes that and he focuses in on us as his, his followers. He, he says to the Father, you've given me authority to give eternal life to these. And, and verse 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Notice what Jesus did not say. He didn't say this is eternal life that they may float on a cloud strumming harps forever. This is eternal life that they might be able to escape from the world and and abscond off to heaven forever. No, this is eternal life. He couches it in the ideas of relationship. That they may know you. That they might know me. And with this, what we see as it comes together, and Jesus later says now in verse 10, all mine are yours, yours are mine. I'm glorified in them. So, so you know, he, he shares his glory with, with us. But what Jesus is saying here with this focus on the cross is God looked out at the vast sea of humanity who was in sinful rebellion against him, standing as his enemies. And he said, in Christ, I choose to love you. In Christ, I choose to know you that you may know me. In Christ, Zephaniah 3.17, I choose to delight in you and rejoice over you and sing over you because you are my people. And that brings glory to Christ and glory to the Father. So he starts out with, with the glory, but then as, as we as his, his people who have received from, from him and, and have trusted in him, what else does he pray here? Well, he prays that his people, us, that we would know and that we would live the truth. 
What is the truth? Well, Jesus says down in verse um, 17, Sanctify them or, or make them holy in the truth. Father, your word is truth. The truth is the Bible. The truth is Scripture. The truth is the story of God that he, he laid out for us. The truth as we, we read it in the pages of Scripture. It, it, it's really three different stories. One, one, it's the story about God, the story about Jesus. That, that's the main story through it all. Two, it's the story about those who lived it. So Moses and Abraham and Sarah and Deborah and, and John and Peter and so forth. But then three, it's our story as humanity in general, but even more specifically as the followers of Christ. So it's our story that God has written, that he has given us a place in. It is his truth. And the truth, the truth leads us to belief and faith. Verse Eight, I have given them the words that you gave me, so he gave us the Father's words, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. Amen. Paul says in Romans 10, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. So it leads us to belief. Verse 19, again, it, it shapes our character. Sanctify them in the truth. Make them holy in the truth. That is Jesus saying, make them more like me. Make them more like loving like I am love. Make them more joyful like I am joyful. Make them more like me, Jesus says about us as his people. Verse 13. I speak these things in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So the, the truth, the word of God gives us joy. And so far with this, we're, we're, we're doing pretty good. It brings us to salvation in, in Christ. It makes us, it works in us that we become more and more like Christ. He gives us his joy through his word. He wants his joy to be complete in us. So Jesus is saying, I want my people to be happy in me. So obviously... Obviously, that means, right, that, that Jesus wants our lives to have no struggles, to have no trouble, to everything go well, right? Until you read verse 14. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. You know, this kind of, sometimes in our flesh, it puts the brakes on a little bit in our movement through this passage. Because Jesus prayed that we might have his joy. He's going to pray that we might have his character. But he says they're going to live in a world that hates them because it hated me. And that builds off of... Uh, John 15, where, where, where Jesus goes into that a little bit more. He, he tells his disciples, don't be surprised if the world hates you, because they hated me first. So obviously then, since God is interested in our joy, and the world hates us, then God wants us to wall ourselves off in the safety of four walls and a roof, where we can live out our faith as loudly as we want to, but keep it to ourselves as we go out the doors into the world, right? Now if you read verse 15. 
I do not ask that you take them out of the world. So he leaves us in the world, that you keep them from the evil one. Well, that's good. Keep us from the power of Satan. They're not of the world, just I am not of the world. Verse 18, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. So Jesus wants us to come to the truth of his word that we can grow in our character to be like him, that we can have his joy in us, but that includes sending us right out into the midst of a world that hates him and is going to hate us. Here's what Jesus is getting at. And this kind of, it, it, it causes us cringe a little bit in our culture because we like comfort we like safety but Jesus is saying to us that you know in the grand scheme of things he's really not all that interested in our comfort in this life he's really not all that interested in our safety in this life father send them into the world as you sent me into the world why did Jesus come to the world to hang on the cross to be rejected, to take our sin. Now, obviously, we can't go and take people's sin on ourselves, but we can go and take the message of the one who did, and yet they're still going to reject him. There's even going to be some who will violently persecute his followers. And Jesus says, I want my people out in the midst of that. That's why I cringe a little bit whenever you know we talk about mission trips and where to go. And it's like, well, we can't go to this place because someone might get Ebola. We can't go to this place because some drug cartel lords might shoot us. And? They need Jesus too. See, the joy that Jesus is talking about here that he gives us is not the joy in our comforts. It's not the joy in our securities. It is the joy that we will enter into fully in eternity when we are standing side by side with our brothers and sisters forever in the presence of the King. And some of those brothers and sisters who are going to be standing side by side with us forever are going to be people who in this life before they came to Christ, murdered some of us, imprisoned some of us. Just look at Paul. He's a perfect example of this. So when Jesus prays for us to know and to live the truth, let me say this, it is a dangerous prayer. But it's a dangerous prayer that's coming from the mouth of a sovereign Lord in whose hands we rest. So he knows exactly what he is doing when he prays this. Another thing Jesus prays, he prays for his people to unite together and to build community. Now we talked about in verse 10 how we all belong to him, we all belong to the Father, and we have glory within us. And he says down in verses 20 and 26, just couple of these places 
you know, one we see in 20, that, that's, that's where we see he's not just praying for his followers back then, he's praying for us as well. It says he wants us, verse 21, that we all be one. And this is a oneness that, that mimics the oneness of the Trinity. For he says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. And even has a missional purpose that the world may believe that you sent me. We'll talk about that more here in a moment. But again, 22, the glory that you have given me, I'll give to them that they may be one, even as we are one. Unity and community. It is that we are united by love for Jesus, a love for his truth, a love for his word. It means that we are united together as a band of brothers and sisters now and for eternity. It is the great family. You can put a capital F on that family. It's in our unity and love that there's a great mission or witness to our, to our mission. That's not just here that Jesus says it back in John 13. He says, this command I, I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And by this, by your love for one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. And there's all sorts of, of resources and books and websites out there on the idea of apologetics, on the defense of the faith, and, and they have their place. But Jesus says in John 13 and John 17, the number one defense of the reality of the gospel is the unity and the love of my people. Amen. So if we want to see the world come to Christ, it starts with our hearts. But this, of course, also goes in the final thing Jesus prays for, and that is for his people to go and to pursue mission. In verse 18, you sent me, Father, into the world, I have sent them into the world. And the 21 and 23, the idea that the world believing this fact through our unity, through our togetherness. And this comes back to the idea that Jesus has absolutely no interest in our isolation from the world. In fact, I, I know one of these days this week, I'm, I'm not sure which one, um, I think it's Josh from Harrisonville is going to be talking about praying for the lost. Is, is that the right topic? Okay, tomorrow night. So I'm, I, I don't want to belabor this point too much and, and step on his sermon tomorrow, but, but let, let me just say this when it comes to praying for the gospel to spread, praying for missions praying for the lost. I think a lot of times we do it wrong because we kind of do it when it comes to evangelism. We, we kind of do it, Lord, do you want me to share the gospel with this person? When it comes to missions, we, we, we kind of do it Lord, do, do you want me to go on this mission trip that I have the opportunity to go on and, and, and take your gospel to other parts of the country, other parts of the world? Nowhere in the Bible are we told to pray like that. 
Nowhere in the Bible do we even find an example of anyone praying like that. Well, know the mission strategy of the early church? Look at Acts. They got together and they went everywhere they could. Just going, taking the gospel, making disciples, saying, hey, here's God's word. Read it for a while. We'll come back to you here, here in a year or two and check on you. But, but going out, and it was only whenever they were going somewhere and suddenly the Holy Spirit said, stop, turn around, go the other way, that they turned. There wasn't any praying, Lord, do you want us to go there? And do you know why there wasn't any praying for that? Matthew 28, 18-20 and Acts 1-8. Jesus already said, go and make disciples of all nations. He gave the command. So we don't have to pray, Lord, do we do this? We obey it. Acts 1-8, when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Again, we don't have to, you know, they, they had to wait about 10 days before Pentecost came and they received the Holy Spirit. We get the Spirit as soon as we come to Christ. So we are already his witnesses at that point to begin to share his word. Jesus sends us as his witnesses into the world to magnify God's greatness. 1 Peter 2.9 says this. I love this verse. It's based, Peter draws on language from Exodus 19. He says, but you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. My church people have heard me say this before, so it won't shock them. Let me just say this for, for you, Archie folk. JP is not the preacher of the First Baptist Church of Archie. He's your pastor, the, the under-shepherd to Jesus to guide you, to build you up, to help you with your gifts. But, but you look here at what Peter says, that you may proclaim that is an act of preaching. And who is he talking to? Every single last one of us who is a follower of Christ. So we need to get out the idea of calling our pastors preachers. We might get up, we might do some proclaiming, we might teach, but we're only one of the preachers. We're surrounded every Sunday by dozens of others. We proclaim His excellencies. We magnify His greatness. Because He called us out of darkness. He called us out of our sin into His marvelous light. He has given us that hope of eternal life. So these are the things that Jesus prayed for us. So how then should these impact our prayers? Well, first, we should pray for God's glory. Prayer, first and foremost, is an act of worship. Prayer, first and foremost, is us magnifying God. Again, the Lord's Prayer our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Yes, later on, you, you get to the prayer list things that we tend to major on today that give us this day our daily bread, you know, help us out in our, our daily needs. But it starts out with, hallowed be your name, magnifying the greatness and the glory of God for who he is. And after all, Jesus says elsewhere, I think it's in, in Luke around that, that Lord's Prayer passage there. It might also be in, in the Matthew one. God already knows what you need before you pray. So obviously prayer is not meant to be this reminder list of, of our needs. It is worship. It is combined with our time in the word. It is our, our hearts and our minds, our very lives, communing with God. That relationship that we might know him. So we pray that we glorify him more by knowing him more. I think there are two very, very great examples of this in Scripture. One is from Philippians 3, where Paul looks at his life, and he looks at everything he had, education, the background, the status he had before he came to know Christ, and he said, it is a big pile of manure. That's actually the cleaned-up English version for what Paul actually said. We won't go there tonight. But it is a big pile of manure. But he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. I want to know Christ, the power of his resurrection, and share in his sufferings. I want to know Christ. My friends, that needs to be a far greater cry of our heart than it is. Let's be honest. We need to pray daily. I want to know Christ. The other great example of this is Exodus thirty-three eighteen. Moses, after the people of Israel had made the golden calf and, and God threatened to wipe them out and Moses had been interceding on behalf of them and, and prayed, one, for their, their rescue from God's judgment and, and prayed, two, that, that God would continue to go with them and be with them as they went into the promised land. Moses now is, is, is alone with God and, and he just says to God, Lord, please, please show me your glory. Show me your glory. That's again another thing that I think we need to pray. But we also need to be aware, Isaiah 6, when we get a taste of the glory of God, it affects us. It impacts us. It changes us. Isaiah 6, that idea where where Isaiah saw it, and when he saw the glory, and he heard the seraphim crying out, Holy, holy, holy. Isaiah's response was, Woe is me, I am ruined. A man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. When the seraphim took coal from the altar, touched his lip, and said, This is atoned for your sin, you, you are purified. And then God starts having a conversation with himself. Who will go for us? Who will we send? Isaiah didn't wait for God to say where he was going to send. 
Isaiah just stepped back and said, Here am I. Here am I. Send me. Then he got the rest of the, the mission to go to a stubborn people who aren't going to want to listen to you and so forth. Isaiah had that encounter with God's glory and it forever changed him. We need to pray for God's glory. We should pray to be people of truth more and more. Pray that God would grow and shape us. That include praying the scripture. Praying back to God the things that he has promised. Praying back to God the things that he has said. Things that he has commanded. And because his truth brings trials and persecution into our lives, we pray that God would sustain us in trials, sustain us in times of darkness and persecutions. We third, we should pray for the growth and the unity of the family. And by that, that's again the capital F family, the body of believers. We pray for the needs and the spiritual growth of others. We also pray that more and more people would come and turn to Jesus and, and, and follow after him and join the family. We pray in thankfulness for God's blessing upon others. And with that, even those who irritate you. That's right. Even those who anger you. Even those who hurt you. Because here's the thing. Again, the Bible says, you know, we are the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. The Bible says we're, we're already, you know, perfected in Christ, but there's still work to be done as we live that out already, but not yet kind of thing. You think about it. Probably most of us have brothers or sisters, or we have kids and multiple kids, and they have brothers and sisters and so forth. Do they irritate you? Yeah. I was 11 years younger than my closest sibling. It was more than irritation. I got set on, and I couldn't do anything about it. irritate us, they anger us. But you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we're, we're still family. That's really the way it should be with church. Far too often it isn't. Far too often we look for the easy way out instead of working through the issues. We try to escape from the issues. This person hurt us, so I'm just going to be bitter against them and hold grudges against them. This person offended me, so I'm just going to leave. Pardon me, but get over yourself. There's no room in the body of Christ for that kind of extended bitterness and anger and hurt. And here's why. Because every hurt we suffer, every irritation we face, will be dealt with in one of two ways. It's either already been dealt with on the cross, nailed to the cross, there with our sins and the way we have irritated and hurt others. And so it has been forgiven in Christ as we have been forgiven in Christ. Or two, it comes from someone who is not a follower of Christ. And if they never turn to become a follower of Christ, 
and the perfect judge in the end will take care of it. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. So if we're to do good to our enemies who hate us, how much more good are we to do to our brothers and sisters in the family? We should pray for our growth and our unity. And finally, we should pray for our work in the mission. And this ties back into the unity as we see in Jesus' prayer. We should pray that our unity would magnify the mission as opposed to a disunity hindering the mission. I wish I remembered the title of it. I don't. It's been like 10 years since I read it. Back when I was in my first round of seminary, there was a book that I read while I was working out at the gym, riding the exercise bike. It was arguing what is the primary Baptist distinctive? Because, you know, we, we've got, you know, different things, priesthood of the believer, um, you know, different things like that. But his, his argument was the primary distinctive of Baptist, if you go back through history, is division. If there's a first Baptist church in most towns, maybe not smaller towns, but if there's a first Baptist church, there's probably a second Baptist church somewhere. And the Second Baptist Church started because somebody got mad at the First Baptist. Then you get these places with Third Baptist, Fourth Baptist, then they just start changing their names. You know, I've, I've seen churches before that, that have names that just scream. They had a split and now they're trying to rectify that with the name. And on the one hand it's kind of funny, but on the other hand it's really sad because it's true. It's true. We are to be the unified people of God who love each other with a deeper love than what wounds run. So pray that our unity would magnify the mission instead of our disunity hindering it. And then pray that we would be grace filled and well-spoken in our mission. Colossians 4. Paul says, let your speech always be seasoned with salt, always filled with grace, that you may be able to answer everyone the way they need answered. JP said that with these services, his goal was to have some time of music, have a sermon. It told me 20, 30 minutes. JP, I think I went over. Sorry. I'm sorry. I think he said he wanted to follow it up with, with times of prayer. And so here's, going with what JP wants to do with that, here's my thought for tonight. One, if at any point, you, know, you, you think, I, I really got to get home, got to get the kids in bed or whatever, just feel free to leave. You know, you, you won't disturb anybody. But if you want to stay and pray, then and stay and pray however long God leads with that. But we see those four things in, in the prayer here. The glory of God, 
we might be people of truth, that we might be a unified community of brothers and sisters, and that we might be aimed out on mission. So we got those four things there to pray for. And the way I, I think I want to start this out, Curtis, this is my revenge from the associational meeting. <laughs> Just kidding. But no, seriously. With, Will you start us out with the idea of praying for God's glory? And, and let's just take a few minutes, and, and Curtis will start us, and then if anyone else just wants to pray something, you know, in Scripture about God's glory, just something in praise to Him. Let's just take a few moment, moments here and, and do that. So after Curtis starts us, if, if whoever else wants to add to it, feel free.
How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere, and I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. The Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. The Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts So above any 
we pray a little longer tonight. There, there are those other aspects of, of truth and community and mission, but I want to pray a couple prayers from Scripture over you as a church body here in Archie, and just as yeah, you're from Adrian as, as your brothers and sisters in, in Christ down the road. I hope that you pray these for us as well, but But in Ephesians, Paul prays a couple places. One of them, Ephesians 1, 15 and following, he says, For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what the, is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his gracious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to <clears throat> the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then down chapter 3, Paul said, For this reason, verse 14, For this reason I bow my, my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, through faith that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of him. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So my friends, my brothers, my sisters, representing our church and Adrian down the road, I want to lift you all up here at Archie. I want to lift you up in, in prayer here. So Father, we, we thank you for our sister church here in this community. We thank you for the history that has had in this town, for, for the men who have been here to help shepherd your people for the witness that has been shared. Lord, we thank you for the faith of the members here, the love that they have for you, love that they have for each other. Father, we ask that you would just continue to build these brothers and these sisters up in your grace and your greatness and your love that they might know you more fully, that together as a body here and then together we all, as, as your body spread throughout the world, we might know your height, your depth, and your length. That we might truly in our everyday lives taste and see that you are good and that the joy we have in you would spill over 
Father, as these men and women, sons and daughters, as they go home, as they go to work, as they go to school, let them be a witness, a source of joy. Just show your greatness in all things. Father, that more and more people here throughout Archie would come to know you. Father, that this place would overfill with people, not just for the sake of numbers, but people who really deeply love you and love each other and want to see your glory spread. Father, we ask that you show your glory mightily among this church. That you help them to grow. And then, JP, I want to pray something over you as well as pastor here. Going to Peter instead of Paul. Come up here. Get up here. First Peter 5, 1 through 4 says, Peter says, I exhort the, the elders or the pastors among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So, JP, let me pray that over you. As my brother in Christ, but also my fellow pastor. Lord, I thank you for J.P.'s heart and his desire to know you more himself, for his family to know you and to love you more, and for his church here to know you and to love you more. Father, I thank you that you brought him here to shepherd this flock of yours and to give oversight. Father, keep his heart and his motives pure. Keep his joy focused on you. Help him in his life and his words and his love be an example to the brothers and the sisters who gather here and who learn from him and who grow because he shares your word with them. Father, give them that hope of looking forward to when Christ appears. And you give, he gives faithful shepherds the unfading crown of glory. May that be our report. Strengthen him. Lift him up. Let your grace and your love 
shine more and more upon his family through him. And let your grace and your love shine more and more on this church through him. Father, we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.